It is May 1st on the TD Podcast. This is your host, Derek Papke, with my co-host, Tyler Kutra. Tyler, give everybody a shout-out. It was a uh, very stressful NFL draft, to, to say the least, to watch. We are shocked and, and a, lot of, a lot of things, so uh, it's, it's going to be good to get it all out and talk about it today. Yeah, absolutely. It was quite the uh, shocking start, to say the least, for all of you that watched it and saw that Trubisky trade happening, but we'll get into uh, into that a little bit later. Let's start out with the latest big news. The Bills have fired their GM, Doug Whaley, and their entire scouting department immediately after the draft. What's what's your take on this, Tyler? Um, I mean, it just comes down to they clearly didn't want them around, um, but they couldn't let them go after they had been scouting for, I mean, most teams scout two years in advance for, for the next draft. So they had all of their, you know, 2017 draft agenda and, and, and board. So they couldn't let that go. So they kind of had to, you know, keep, keep that under wraps and let them go afterwards. And as you, as I talked about you and I, excuse me, um, you know, we didn't think they had that terrible of a draft. So if this draft class, you know, in three years from now comes back and is actually pretty good, then I guess we're going to, whoever made this decision is going to have to answer for it. Well, and the new regime's going to start out with two first round picks next year, thanks to the, you know, the movement down so that the Chiefs can pick up Patrick Mahomes. So, right. you know, they're starting off with quite a lot of draft capital. So hopefully they uh, started their scouting already pretty quickly here because I know. Some some of the major scouts and uh, analysts have already put out mock drafts for next year, including guys like Matt Miller. Right. So I bet you the, the scouting department is a little bit behind and has to get their butts in gear to start recruiting. And yeah, well, they don't have recruit. they don't have a scouting department at this not, point. Not recruiting, <laughs> I should say. <laughs> I'm used to college football right yeah. now. But uh, let, let's move forward on to the next point. I'll go ahead and let you introduce it because it has to do with your team. <laughs> All right. Uh, Reported from multiple outlets, uh, Jamal Charles will be visiting the Broncos tomorrow. Um, I, I, I'm actually, after thinking about it, pretty excited about this. Just they can get him at a at a good deal as long as he's healthy because he's pretty he not pretty much he is the last major running back on the market um, that's had huge amounts of success in their career. So I think if he's healthy and they can get him at a realistic price tag for for a short term deal, I. I don't see why the Broncos don't do it. Right. I think it adds a dimension to the offense that's going to be very helpful. Jamal Charles has proven to be a great, you know, pass catcher out of the out of the backfield and that's helpful for a quarterback that could be under pressure, especially if you're trying to develop, you know, Garrett Bowles or anybody else that you guys have on your line. Right. It's helpful to have that safety valve and Jamal Charles is a pretty darn good one. Right. I think having Charles and CJ Anderson as kind of a one-two punch in what a, you know, whatever order um, Vance Joseph and the new staff decides to, to make that. I, I think that they'll be, um, you know, a pretty good tandem. I, I think this might be a move that they like C.J. Anderson, but also he's had health, his own share of health issues. So I think it's to kind of take the load off him a little bit too and have a timeshare by two running backs who've proven that when they're healthy they can uh, handle a pretty good load. Yeah, very similar to Seattle's backfield with right. Lacey, Rawls, and Procise all being injury-prone. Right. It's helpful to have a few backs in that case so that you're not totally screwed when one goes down. Yeah, and it, this move makes sense because in, um, I believe it was the fourth round of the draft, the Broncos traded away uh, Capri Bibbs, our um, third-string running back that a lot of fans actually um, were pretty high on. So I think they were kind of anticipating this move, and I think they're anticipating signing Charles as long as... Um, his physical doesn't show any red flags. Right. I think it would be a great move for him, but we'll see how the visit goes tomorrow. Yep. In other news, the Packers are going to release their one of their running backs. I think he had the most yardage last year, if I'm not mistaken. Maybe Ty Montgomery overtook him. But Kristen Michael, right. uh, ex-Seattle Seahawk, ex-Dallas Cowboy. I believe he's also with the Redskins for a time as well. Uh, they drafted three running backs in this draft, so I think the writing was kind of on the wall as soon as that happened. Right. And I saw today that Ty Montgomery is still slated to be their starting running back, um, which I found somewhat interesting. But, it, uh, yeah, I mean, they, they picked up uh, Jamal Williams, Aaron Jones, and Devontae Mays in the, in the draft in the uh, 4th, 5th, and 7th round, respectively. So um, picked up a couple project guys to, to kind of fill that 2nd and 3rd running back. So I'm interested to see... 
how the Packers move forward. Um, I had said before that I had looked for that to be a major landing spot for AP. Obviously, that hasn't happened, but or didn't happen because he went to the Saints. So, yeah, we'll see how that offense functions without um, really any true running back that has NFL experience. Right. I think Montgomery's going to get the bulk of the carries just because he you know, has that versatility, but I bet you they'll find out real quickly in the preseason by giving some of those guys carries what they've really got back there. Right. And let's uh, let's move a couple uh, rookie deal here. Some news on that: uh, the Vikings have informed Teddy Bridgewater they will not be picking up his fifth year option. Um, what do you make of this? Does this they want to roll with Sam Bradford moving forward, or do they want to restructure Bridgewater's um, deal to a lower salary, maybe since he's been hurt? I think it's more so a safety concern whether right. or not whether or not Bridgewater is truly going to come back because mm-hmm. the concern there is whether or not he has permanent nerve damage because if he does he's never going to be able to come back. Yeah. So then the question becomes, you know, if they had picked up the option then they would have been stuck with it. Mm-hmm. Would have been money that they would have had to invest that they didn't want to. So it makes sense from their perspective. I don't think it's a bad faith gesture in any any sense of the word. I think it's just them trying to be smart about it, not knowing what Bridgewater's long-term future is. Right. No, I, I, I understand. So um, he's not really supposed to come back this year. Am I, am I right in assuming that? There, There's no timetable at this point, so, yeah. so nobody knows. Definitely Bradford. Um, yeah, so, and then moving on to Sammy Watkins, the Bills are rumored to that it's unlikely that they will be picking up his fifth-year option, and this one confuses me a little bit. Um just because, I mean, I know he's been hurt on and off, but he's still going to be paid under his rookie salary. And when he's healthy, he's one of the most dynamic pass catchers in the league. So this this doesn't make sense to me why they wouldn't pick up that option. Well, they went out and got Zay Jones, who is arguably one of the better, if not one of the best, wide receivers in this draft out of East Carolina. I, I can't remember the statistic. I think it was like 160 catches last year, something mm-hmm. absolutely absurd. So I think they've they've realized that wide receiver is something that they need to keep investing in right? because they need to keep finding weapons for Tyrod Taylor or for whoever they decide is their quarterback of the future. And having Watkins be hurt all the time does kind of throw up a red flag for them. You can't really be investing in somebody that only plays, you know, six to eight games a year. So I, I don't, again, I think this is more so a Buffalo saying, Hey, Prove, prove you're healthy this year, and we'll sign you to a long-term deal. If, if you can't prove you're healthy, then we'll, we'll let you test out free agency and figure it out. Right. I, I, I see your point on that. I still don't necessarily agree. Um, I think that he's good enough of a player, and that and it's going to be you know on the cheaper end of a deal. You're not going to get a wide receiver with his talent in free agency, um, and you can't continue to draft rookies and, and expect them to produce at a high level. So... Um, I see your point, but I also don't understand the Bills side of it. But um, I guess that's why I'm not an NFL GM. Yeah, and I don't know if I – let me clarify. I don't remember if I said 160 catches in the year or not, but he had 158 yeah. in his career. Uh-huh. But 98 of them were last were, – uh, were, oh, no, he had 158 in 2016, so that was last yeah. year. Yeah, mm-hmm. with 1,746 yards. That's right. a, It's just absurd to look at. So wouldn't you want to pair up Sammy Watkins and Zay Jones in? I mean, wouldn't that be a fantastic pairing as long as – I mean, I understand as long as Watkins is healthy, but – Sure, Uh, but nobody's saying the Bills won't do that. They can still sign Sammy Watkins long-term. It just won't be at the same rookie scale. So I I think it's more of a prove-it situation, similar to giving a free agent a one-year contract. Okay, yeah, fair enough. So so as we told you in our mock draft pod, um, Derek and I revealed our mocks, and we kept score with um, ours along with uh, 21 experts from you know around the internet and some some television stations and all that. Um, so there's 23 total, including ours, and the average score was 8.96 points. So let's review our scoring system. So if you got the correct number and team pick number and team, then you got two points. So Miles Garrett went to the Browns. Everyone on the board got that one right. So everyone got two points automatically. If you picked the right player going to the right team but not the right 
pick number, then you got one point. So, for example, I picked Corey Davis going to the Titans at 18, but it happened at five, so I get one point. Um, and even through all of Derek's Facebook and Twitter trash talk, I still beat him by, <laughs> by four points, uh, 13 to nine. Um, so what do you have to say for yourself after, you know, throwing all that shade my way and, and you know, you didn't even make it, you didn't even make it close here. So to be fair, there were a lot of trades. There were six <laughs> trades that went on in the first round. And I think that threw my entire middle portion out of whack. I got no points from pick five all the way through pick 18. So that I literally had nothing that was helping me out there. And, um, you know, I got I got points for Garrett Bowles at the end, as did you. And we both got points for Watson and Mahomes, just not in the right spots. So it, it just, you know, McCaffrey gave you some points. I'll give you that one. You know, I, I, still, I still stand by my mock draft. If there weren't so many trades, I stand by it. There's so many trades and I still picked up points. So that's, you know, uh, either way, um, it was still fun to do. Um, that ends up being $22 total to concussion legacy foundation. Not, you know, not what we are expecting. Um, we thought we'd be a little bit smarter than that, but you know, we'll do a number of, um, kind of fundraising type things throughout, uh, now until we are done fundraising, uh, around Christmas and new year's time. So, uh, yeah, it, it was good. And, and, we so the top three Walter football had fifteen points, um, and I was tied with Daniel Jeremiah with thirteen, um, and then the bottom five the really bad, uh, Maurice Jones Drew had a whopping five points. Um, did he what did he get just Miles Garrett right? Is that the only thing he got two points from? Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Let me take a look real quick. He got two points for Miles Garrett and two point for Jared Davis to the Lions. And then he got a single point for Corey Davis to the Titans. That was it. He didn't get any points for Solomon Thomas like we did. Yeah. Or Fournette or anything like that. So, huh. I mean, uh, interesting. So these so-called, it's it goes to show these so-called experts. Uh, Who spend know, months and months yes. studying these things. Yeah. May not know, you know, obviously we used similar resources to them. You know, we, we followed their mock drafts heavily for the last couple months and um, kind of followed their scouting reports and, and used their information to, to base our mock drafts. And But um, still, it's it's interesting to see some of these big-name guys kind of just, you know, not do well at all. Um, it kind of baffled me. But again, there were, uh, in this draft as a whole, I saw there was the most trades out of any draft in the common draft era. So... Uh, from the first round through the seventh round, there were so many drafts, and some players dropped, and some players got drafted where you didn't even think they would. So I understand why some of these these mocks were pretty low this year. Yeah, I mean, John Lynch in his first draft for the Niners had six trades himself. So right. if that goes to show you how trade-happy this draft was, it was mind-boggling how much. Yeah. Um, I think we should talk about the elephant in the room here and just get it out of the way. So what were the Chicago Bears thinking in this draft? So first off, let's just go over exactly what the overall haul was that San Francisco got out of this. <laughs> so it, for those of you who aren't aware, San Francisco had the second pick, Chicago had the third pick. San Francisco somehow convinced Chicago that somebody was either them or somebody else was trying to trade up and take Mitch Trubisky at two. And apparently Chicago was so interested at moving up one spot to make sure that they got Trubisky. They gave San Francisco a third round pick uh, that was number 67 overall, a 20, uh, sorry, a fourth round pick, and a 2018 third round pick. Now, now that we've seen the draft itself, we know exactly what those picks became. So for that third round pick that San Francisco got, they later traded that for a sixth-round pick that became Adrian Col Colbert, the safety out of Miami, uh, the, and a 2018 second. So they added another pick plus the player there. The fourth-round pick that Chicago gave to San Francisco was later traded to Seattle to trade up to 31 to pick up Reuben Foster, which was a great move in my opinion. Yeah. Got a top-tier linebacker out of it that as long as he's not in trouble or uh, in some sort of a drug protocol or something like that, he's, he's pretty darn good at 31. 
Um, and then we'll find out what the 2018 third is next year. But overall, pretty darn good haul just to move down one spot and still get your guy in Solomon Thomas. Right, and and there was a number of uh, rumors going around that San Francisco had no idea that the Bears were going after Trubisky. They thought they wanted Solomon Thomas, um, but the 49ers are saying, hey, we'd like Solomon Thomas, but there's five other really good defensive players that we could pick from here, and we get three other picks. Um, so why not trade down here? Um, and they end up getting Trubisky, and, and John rumor has it also that John Fox didn't even know about this move until... Um, you know, a few hours before the draft. So there was definitely some disconnect um, between the coaching staff and, and the front office in Chicago. So it's definitely a head scratcher, especially when they just gave Mike Glennon 70 plus million dollars. Right. It, it, or 70 plus, you mean 45? 45, yeah. I was thinking yeah. of Osweiler deal. Yes, even yeah. it wasn't as bad as Osweiler, but he may <laughs> he may be as bad as Osweiler. Yeah, I mean the Glennon deal is three years, forty five million with eighteen and a half million guaranteed. So yeah. yeah, it is kind of weird to me that you would go after a guy like Glennon who has been uh he's been a starter, he's been a backup, and you you commit that much money to him. It's not as much as Osweiler, yeah, but it's still a good chunk. And then you're basically telling him he has one year to prove that he's a starter while you develop Trubisky. And if he doesn't prove that he's good enough, Trubisky's going to be the man next year. But what do you do with Trubisky? Because then what if Glennon, you know, throws for four thousand yards and thirty touchdowns this year? You can't bench him for Trubisky. Well, then you sit there and have a Jimmy Garoppolo status and try to find a way but, to but get But then you just wasted all the, these picks for the number two pick when you could have had someone that made your defense instantly better. It just I, doesn't, I it just baffles me. I don't, under, I don't understand. I mean, I get, it goes to show that no team is going to stop themselves short of finding a franchise quarterback. If Trubisky ends up being a franchise quarterback that's there for 10, 15 years – and leads the Bears to the playoffs multiple times, maybe competes for an NFC Championship, something like that, down the line, nobody will ever second-guess this trade again. It's all dependent on what Trubisky becomes in the future. And they're going to give him every opportunity to succeed. Right, and I, and I have their draft class up right here. So they only – a team that had the third pick, they were one of the worst teams in the NFL. They only brought in five players – and their last pick was in the fifth round. They didn't even pick after the fifth round. They brought in, and the, their second round pick was the tight end out of Ashland, Adam Shaheen, who was projected to be more along the lines of, at earliest, a third round, if not fourth or fifth round pick. Um, they already have two good, two good running backs on the roster and took another running back in the fourth round. So I, I'm not really sure what their draft strategy was. Well, they already had Zach Miller at tight end too, which kind of right. confused me. But I guess giving two tight ends is kind of, having two tight ends is kind of a fad nowadays. Right. I, I don't. I don't mind picking up a second tight end, but I don't know if that was the tight end to go for that early in the second round. Um, that was the thirteenth pick in the in in the second round, and you know they didn't even have a pick until the fourth round before that trade, and they traded some of their picks that they had left to get into the second round to reach for a tight end who wasn't going to be picked for a while. So um, it, it doesn't matter if Mitchell Trubisky is a franchise quarterback if you don't put people around him that's going to help him win. Yeah, so funny funny comment here from Jeff Dickerson, who is an ESPN staff writer that I'm reading right underneath their draft classes. Yeah. Coming off their worst season ever, the Bears take three players from non-FBS schools – and a quarterback second overall who might not see the field in 2017. It's a boomer bust. Yeah. So, yeah, it's interesting. You see, again, Ashland, North Carolina, A&T, and Cootstown uh, as three of the schools of three of their five draftees. So, yeah, that's three non-FBS competitors, and they can be very, very good players. We've definitely seen non-FBS uh, players that get drafted that turn out to be really awesome in the NFL. So they could pan out, and I, I think it's just a matter of – what are we going to get out of them? There's a lot of pressure, so right. hopefully they perform for Chicago. Yeah. Um, I kind of feel bad for John Fox because it seems like there's some disconnect and he may not have had much say in what happened in this draft, and it's probably going to cost him his job um, come this year. So, I, Yeah, it probably will. He's a good coach, I think. Yeah, he, he definitely is, and it's unfortunate that he's going to get pushed out the door for um, 
a decision an executive made pretty much on his behalf, and he didn't have much say in it. Right. Well, let, let's let's move forward here. Let, let's talk about what I mentioned earlier too. I, I six trades in round one. How crazy is that? Yeah, that's. Um, I mean, from the very get go, we were sitting there watching it together, and all of a sudden they. Um, you know, ding, 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 here we have a trade already. Chicago traded up to the two pick. And um, I, I think the that was pretty shocking that they traded up, but I think it also was shocking that the quarterback run happened so early. Um, with two, 10, and 12. Two, 10, and 12, especially with Kansas City and Houston giving up some, you know, pretty big draft capital to pick those guys up, giving up their first round picks next year, um, along with some other later round picks. I was re- I I don't wasn't sure that those guys were going to go in the top twenty. I think they could have traded up to the low twenties and and got their guys. But um, so that, I think that's really what got the ball running. And I'm not surprised that Seattle traded out twice. Um, and also Green Bay, um, you know, a team that's already primed for for a good run. So the trades in the twenties don't surprise me. But those first three trades that we have listed here are, are, were more shocking to me. Yeah, the only thing that would I think is kind of shocking, uh, or two notes I'll say, the Seattle-Atlanta trade was already pretty much projected before this happened anyways, is Seattle was going to trade with Atlanta out if they could have, and yeah. they've already, they already kind of had a hand-in-cheek, uh, or tongue-in-cheek argument, mm-hmm. or, or agreement, I should say, that they would do this trade if Seattle could still get their guy or felt like they could. Yeah. And Atlanta Atlanta clearly wanted to move up, and they got their guy into Karis McKinley. So that was helpful. Um, but the two that do kind of surprise me uh, in the 20s were the fact that uh, not that Green Bay moved down, but that Cleveland moved up because Cleveland already had the two first round picks. You know, they already picked up Miles Garrett. They already mm-hmm. traded with Houston back to the 25th pick and picked Jabril Peppers with that one and then moved back up and picked up David Njoku from Miami. So I, it was interesting to see Chicago, or, uh, Cleveland have three first round picks. And then for Seattle to trade with a division rival to let san francisco get reuben foster was still was was kind of surprising to me too Mm -hmm. it wasn't surprising that they moved down again out of the first i was expecting that but the fact that it was with the division rival to pick up a guy like reuben foster who could be a big time acquisition for them was was interesting right um i mean i think come when it comes draft time i think um franchises care more about their own needs rather than you know, play and keep away from someone, especially in their division. So, but I, I get your point. It's not every day that, you know, um, not only division rivals, but Seattle and San Francisco have had kind of a heated rivalry, you know, on the field and fans off the field um, a couple years ago. So, it, but it is what it is. Seattle got what they wanted out of it. They got um, multiple second round and third round picks and, and, you know, got the value that they wanted for, for that 26 pick. Yeah, turned a nine-spot move down, if you will, in those three trades and turned it into four extra picks. Yeah. And they still got their guy, according to Schneider and Carroll. Malik McDowell was the one they were targeting the entire time, so can't really complain there. Right. Let's talk Let's talk surprises, steals, and our uh, best fits, if you will. So go ahead and start with a couple that you want we don't have to go necessarily surprises first steals for a second etc go ahead and just pinpoint some that you wanted to talk about right i think i'll go with uh kind of a double dipper here a, a biggest surprise and a steal i think oj howard dropping to 19 to tampa bay um i think that was an absolute steal um with the with the kind of quarterback run early and then that dropping some of the bigger name defensive players into the teens i think that that hurt OJ Howard in his draft position. Whereas if those quarterbacks would have been picked later and defensive players would have gone early, I think, um, you know, the bills or someone in that range would have picked up OJ Howard and Tampa Bay has to be thrilled that, that he dropped to them to, to add to that offense. He, he's someone who can block on the line as well as be uh, a monster in the passing game. So I think that would be kind of a double dip there. And the other one, um, I'm going to just mention Corey Davis to the Titans. I thought that that would be a good fit. I just didn't think it would happen at five. But if you think that he's the guy, go for him. It doesn't matter whether you pick him at five or 18. And the other one that maybe not a lot of people have talked about is Evan Ingram to the Giants instead of uh, David Njoku for biggest surprises. Um, A lot of scouts have said Evan Ingram is more of a 
big slot receiver. Um, so that would mean it's kind of Evan Ingram slash Sterling Shepard in the slot there. So who are you going to sit? You're going to have to... Shepard's going to lose some reps there because Ingram's not going to put his hand in the turf and play tight end and, and block down there. Um, whereas David and Joku can, uh, can develop into more of a true tight end. Yeah. So on my end... Davis Webb, so sticking with the Giants, Davis mm-hmm. Webb, the quarterback out of Cal, uh, lasted all the way till the third round, and then the Giants picked him up, and it, it, I think it's the the belief that he'll be the long-term backup and then Eli's successor at this point, because it just doesn't seem like the Giants have found somebody in previous drafts to succeed Eli once he's done. Right. So I was kind of surprised that Davis Webb lasted all the way that long, because he was projected to be potentially even a late first-round pick at one point. Uh, sticking with quarterbacks, Deshaun Kaiser going in uh, the third round, or late second, I should say, uh, to the Browns was also a surprising revelation. I think the Browns secretly wanted Kaiser all along, but didn't want to pick him with the first or the 12th pick. And so they ended up getting not only not only getting him, but getting him at 52 instead of in the first round is, is huge for them, I think, because Kaiser was known to take some development so you can start a guy like Osweiler this year if you really wanted to and let Kaiser get some development, and then Kaiser can be your guy going forward because he was projected to be anywhere as high as like a, a 6 or a 7 pick at one point in time too. So I think that was huge. Right, I agree. I think uh, I still think Trubisky was probably their number one, but I think Kaiser was definitely uh, kind of their backup there. Um, I agree with you. I think they were probably high on both quarterbacks and – um, with I mean the team's not going to be a playoff contender next year anyway, so you can definitely can sit him for a year and and develop and um, you know you have Cody Kessler and Brock Osweiler there to take you know take the beating for sixteen games and and then hopefully next season you can have another solid draft class and put some more pieces around Kaiser. So I, I agree. I think if he pans out to be good, it will be a really good pick. Um, but it's all a question of whether they can develop Kaiser. And I think when it comes to Davis Webb, I somewhat agree that it's, it's a steal that he dropped to the third third round or a surprise. Um, but I think that quarterback run early showed that the quarterback needy teams had other guys in mind. I don't think anyone was going to really jump for him. Um, and a side note was that the Giants attempted to get Patrick Mahomes before the Chiefs traded up. Um, so it was probably just a highest bidder kind of thing got to jump up to that, that 10 spot too pick up Mahomes, which would be interesting because I think the Chiefs are a little more quarterback needy than the Giants at this point. I think Alex Smith's clock is ticking a little bit quicker than Eli's. Right, and Eli's proven to be a very, very good playoff quarterback Yeah, as compared to Alex Smith, who unfortunately has the the short end of the stick and having to compete year in and year out in the the playoffs with Ben Roethlisberger and Tom Brady. (laughs) Right. So... So that, that, that's kind of the short end of the stick there. But some of the biggest steals that I don't think have been mentioned, you, you did talk about O.J. Howard. I, it, you know, even though it's at six, Jamal Adams dropping all the way to the Jets is an absolute steal in my opinion. Yeah. I think he was I think he was a lock for a top three, top four, and he just fell into the Jets' lap, and they needed a safety badly. So I think that was huge. Jonathan Allen at one point was talked about as the number one pick in the draft before Miles Garrett took the, the NFL world by storm and all of a sudden drops all the way to 17 to the Redskins. So I think that's huge for them. Already talked about Reuben Foster and they're uh, in the Niners picking him up at 31 after the trade. Some some other ones that I kind of pinpointed. Obi Melifonwu, the safety out of Connecticut, at one point in time was projected to be late teens, early 20s pick. It goes all the way at 56 to Oakland, which uh, helps a secondary needy team in Oakland. So I think that's huge. And then uh, Chidobi Awuzie, uh, the corner out of Colorado. Uh, drop into Dallas at 60 is also a big deal in my opinion because they're also a secondary needy team. Yeah. Um, I, I think one to point out, and I'm going to kind of take this to another point really quick, uh, is Tim Williams at 78 to Baltimore. Um, obviously, any Alabama linebacker or defensive player in general is probably going to be a good pick or they're going to turn into a good role play, player. Um, and I just want to look at the Baltimore Ravens draft class really quick. I, I, I Looking at it, I'm super disappointed that they didn't go 
for any offensive weapon. They they picked one, two, three, four, five of their picks went defense, and they picked up two offensive linemen, a team that just lost Steve Smith, um, and already wasn't that good on offense. I am a little confused why they didn't use. Um, you know, a top three pick on an offensive weapon. Yeah, I'm confused a little bit at that too, but they, you know, Baltimore's always been so darn good when their defense is dominant. Right. And they got they got three guys that were, even four, that I've seen were originally mocked in the first round. Marlon Humphrey, corner out of Alabama. Tyus Bowser, linebacker out of Houston. Chris Wormley, defensive tackle out of Michigan, and Tim Williams were all at one point mocked in the first round, and they got all all four of them within the first half of the third round. So I, I think they added a ton of help on that defense, and if that defense is even somewhat dominant and they get in the playoffs, Joe Flacco is a pretty darn good playoff quarterback, no matter what anyone wants to say about him. Right, but I mean, you also look at it this way, they lost two of their top three wide receivers this year. So now the only player they have is is Mike Wallace, who's in his 30s now and kind of on his last leg. So, um, yeah, I think their defense will be really, really good, but they need to have some offensive production as well. So that's my only concern for them. Um, Let's talk about Caleb Brantley a little bit. Uh, We talked about it last time that he allegedly hit a woman in the mouth, knocked a tooth out, um, and has been noted for a ton of character issues. I even saw a scout who had an anonymous source at Florida who said that they told NFL teams that they would not even consider him as a undrafted free agent, that they should just stay away. Um, yet Cleveland drafted him at a 185th. So is this a good risk for them, or should have Cleveland just not pulled the trigger on that one? I think it's sim- similarly as risky as the Raiders drafting Gary and Conley in the first round. Somebody who's in trouble with the law, or even Cincinnati drafting Joe Mixon. Joe Mixon, it's it's similar in that regard, in my opinion. But yeah, I guy's a first round talent. If he didn't have this kind of issues, these right. kind of issues off the field. So if he figures it out, Cleveland got a steal. Right, and also um, Dallas drafted a cornerback out of Michigan, who I believe in a couple of weeks is on trial for domestic assault. Um, and I don't know that I've ever seen a player drafted that's actually going on trial for their um, domestic abuse. So that'll, that'll be interesting. Um, I don't know. If there, it just seemed like that was a forefront issue in this draft. There was a number of players who had that issue coming to this draft, and I was really surprised at the spots that some of these teams took them, um, knowing that the PR, what the PR issues are going to be uh, moving forward. Right. Well, let's talk uh, best fits here before we move to a little bit of a kind of in-depth discussion on both of our divisions. Uh, Go with your top two best fits in in the first round. Uh, Christian McCaffrey in Carolina, I think that they're going to make that offense super dynamic again. They're going to get back to the explosiveness that they had that that got them to the Super Bowl and, and even the playoffs the year before when they were developing that talent. So... I think McCaffrey's going to be great. He can get take it out of the backfield. He can uh, be a slot receiver. They can go trips with him out there and, and play that little little dump screen game out there. So I think that's a great fit. Um, and I also like Dalvin Cook to Minnesota. I think that he will you know, be a great addition, whether he starts or he plays behind Latavius Murray. I think it's going to be a great one-two punch. And a lot of scouts thought Dalvin Cook was talent-wise the best running back in this draft because he can catch, he can run between the tackles. So I, I think you know all all every player that we've listed here is a great fit. But I think off the top of my head, those two would be my favorite fits. Okay. So two that I really like, or I should say, I'm going to go with three, actually. I like Garrett Bowles to your Denver Broncos. I think it's a great fit. Uh, he's it's a You're a tackle-needy team, and he was the best tackle in the draft. The only thing that made him drop was his age, and that he only had one year of D1 experience. But other than that, he has everything you need. He tested extremely well at the Combine, so I think it's a big pickup. I like Takaris McKinley with Atlanta. Atlanta, based on just knowing Dan Quinn, 
from when the time he was the Seahawks defensive coordinator, really, really needed an extra pass rusher. And Karis McKinley is known as the highest motor in the draft. He just never stops. So I think that helps Atlanta be more tenacious on defense and getting to the quarterback, which they desperately needed in the second half of the Super Bowl. And then I'm going to go with one uh, that hasn't been talked about uh, enough, I don't think. Deshaun Watson going to Houston, I think is huge. They got Houston got uh, one of the guys that they've been they've been pinpointing for a while at 12. He's going to throw to another Clemson graduate and DeAndre Hopkins. And he's got a, you know not great weapons across the board in the backfield, but they and on the outside, but they did pick up Dante Foreman in the draft, the running back out of Texas as well. Uh, but that defense now has a potential franchise-changing quarterback to to ride their ride them into the playoffs and hopefully move past where they did last year. You know, they got rather fortunate that Derek Carr got hurt going into their game against Oakland. Right. And they didn't they didn't do too bad against New England in at, in New England at Gillette Stadium. So, I think Houston has been a quarterback away for a long time and they ended up getting who I think is the best quarterback in this draft and Sean Watson, just seeing him play in two national championships. He's got mobility. He's got the arm strength. Maybe he's got to work on some mechanics or maybe some other reads or whatnot. But I think Deshaun Watson is a great fit for that team. Right. Um, and I just want to mention one more player and that being uh, Cooper Cup. I mentioned him a couple of times on this pod out of Eastern Washington going to the Los Angeles Rams who literally had nobody at wide receiver besides what they signed Robert Woods, I believe. Um, so the, the guy I compared him to when we were talking about it was kind of a Brandon Stokely type guy. Um, he's going to be a great possession receiver. He's not, you know, um, lightning speed, but he's a great route runner and he's, he's going to go up and get the ball. So I think that's a good, good fit for, for Jared Goff. I would agree with that 100%. Let's, uh, let's talk divisions real quick. Our particular divisions specifically, not, not the rest of the NFL for the, for the sake of time here, but go ahead and start the AFC West. Uh, just pinpoint any particular draft picks or, or teams that you, you want to highlight here. Okay, um, I'll do, I'll just start it at uh, with my Broncos. Obviously, we talked about Bulls and pretty self explanatory why they picked him. Um, I I think the picks I like the most for Denver is uh, Demarcus Walker at in the second round pick nineteen. He was he had sixteen sacks I believe was either first or second in the NCAA last year um, in in total sacks. I think he's a great motor and he's going to uh, replace Demarcus Ware and Malik Jackson. Um, Jake Butt, I think, even besides the torn ACL, I think he's a great pickup at round five because he would have been a second or uh, second or third round pick at tight end if he wouldn't have gotten hurt. And um, Carlo, and the last person I want to point out for Denver is Carlos Henderson, their third round pick. He had a five touchdown game last year at Louisiana Tech. Um, he's a he's he's just a burner type guy. I think he's the type of guy Denver needed, especially for their return game. Um, so that, that, that would be probably my favorite picks. Um, Kansas City, obviously, Patrick Mahomes, I think it would be a great pickup to uh, develop. Um, other than that, I don't really have much to say about the Chiefs draft. I think it was pretty quiet. I think it was just kind of filled depth and need. Um, moving to the Chargers, I think the Chargers had a absolutely phenomenal draft. Um, picked up Mike Williams at the seven spot, which they don't necessarily need wide receiver, um, but they got probably the best wide receiver in the draft at, at number seven. Um, they picked up Forrest Lamp, who some people say is the best guard or O-lineman uh, projecting about three years out um, in in this draft. So I think they got him the sixth pick in the second round. So I think that is great. And they got Desmond King, kind of a safety cornerback uh, hybrid in the, in the fourth round to kind of boost that secondary a little bit. So I, I think... The Chargers a little bit under the radar. I think this draft class, if it if it uh, it projects well, two or three seasons from now, and then the Raiders. Um, I I think as much as I hate to say it, as as being a Broncos fan, I think the Raiders had a very good first three rounds of this draft, um, picking up Gary and Conley. It's looking more and more likely that Gary and Conley didn't actually commit the crime based on his lie detector test, and he did a DNA sample. Um, and all that kind of stuff. He's being super cooperative, so I think he's going to be there for them to start the season. Um, as you mentioned before, the safety out of Connecticut. Um, 
was a great pickup at 24 in the second round and then picked up a nice D tackle in Eddie Vander Doss, I believe that's how you say it, mm-hmm. um, in the third round out of UCLA. So I think they bolstered that defense. I don't know that those picks are going to translate to uh, moving them to where their defense needs to be to be a championship team, but it's definitely a step in the right direction. Yep, and now for NFC West, I think the Cardinals had a fantastic first two rounds, picking up Hassan mm-hmm. Reddick, who I think fits their scheme a lot. They love Teresa Passer, and Hassan Reddick had himself a very, very good senior bowl and found himself as the 13th pick in the draft. And then Buda Baker, the safety from UW, got him early in the second. They had to trade up to get him. I think he's a great fit for that defense, too. Uh, they already have two great safeties and, and some good corners with you know Matthew, uh, Patrick Peterson, etc. back there. So I think this is just a depth move that could become a future star if they can't sign one of those guys later. Uh, moving over to the Rams, they picked up Gerald Everett, the tight end out of South Alabama, with their first pick in the draft, which was in the middle of round two. So add, add some weapons on that offense, and then followed it up with, as we mentioned, Cooper Cup. So I think those are two big uh, additions to that offense, giving uh, Jared Goff some weapons. For the Niners, I absolutely loved their first round. I really did. Uh, picking up Solomon Thomas with the third pick and then moving up and grabbing Reuben Foster was huge for them. And then they also added two other picks that I think are really good. And then one head-scratcher I'll mention. I, I liked uh, Akella Witherspoon, the cornerback from Colorado. Picking him up in the third round was a, a steal. He was projected to be a late first-rounder, early second-rounder at times. And they got him in the third, so I think he helps that secondary a lot. And then I also like George Kittle, the tight end out of Iowa. They got him in the fifth round, uh, arguably one of the better tight ends in this draft, even though it was a fairly deep tight end class. But I think it adds a a layer of depth to that offense that they've been missing since Vernon Davis kind of aged and then was, was let go. The head scratcher for me is C.J. Beathard, the quarterback out of Iowa. Picking him up in, picking him up in the third round, I feel like that was a little too early for C.J. Beathard. Uh, from watching him, especially during Iowa's really, really good year in 2015 when they went to the Rose Bowl, he was more of a game manager Alex Smith type to me, and I didn't really see anything that would project as anything better than a career backup, so I don't know why they picked him up in the third round, but they probably saw something I didn't. I'm not a scout. <laughs> and then for my Seahawks, I am, you know, the, the more I look into this draft class, the more I like it. It's still a head-scratcher to me why they didn't go O-line first, but if they really, really liked Malik McDowell and can find a way to keep his motor consistent, he's going to uh, – round two uh, pick for him is fantastic value, and I'll take the four players we added with it. We drafted, a, I believe it was a, a league-high 11 players in this draft. I liked Ethan Posich uh, the more I looked out, looked him up. Uh, offensive lineman out of LSU. He can play all positions, so he's got a lot of versatility. I think that's huge. And then they picked up four guys in the secondary, which was awesome. So three, three safeties and a corner. And so I'm hoping at least one or two of those guys pan out as, as potential successors to the aging Legion of Boom. And then one more that I liked was Amara Darbo, wide receiver out of Michigan. Big dude. I think they, the Seahawks have been lacking a big receiver. Uh, the last time that they had one was in the uh, in the Super Bowl against the Patriots. Uh, we had a guy that we ended up not keeping. Um, but we ju- we've just been lacking that kind of big weapon for a while because Baldwin and Curse aren't necessarily huge guys. So I, th- I think it was a, a big pick for them to go wide receiver in that regard. But, uh, yeah, I, I think that's all I really wanted to say about the NFC uh NFC uh, West draft. Uh, did you have anything more to follow up on? Um, no, I don't. I don't. I don't think so. Um, it's just, I, I. I think I just kind of wrap up draft class in general. I don't really like the whole. Pe- I know people who are crazy about reading. You know, people grading these draft classes and and all of that. And and you know, it, I. I don't think that's fair to these these teams and these players because these players are not supposed to fill their needs right now. That's what free agency is for. These players are supposed to project out, you know, for, for 2018 and beyond. So, um, you know, I kind of look at things like they gave Denver a, a C for drafting Garrett Bowles at 20, which you, they needed offensive line help and he was the best tackle in the draft kind of thing. So that doesn't make any sense to me. It's really a personal opinion on whether you actually like the player or not. So I, I think it's hard to judge judge these um, draft classes. We really it's just a judgment call. 
Right. I personally like when Mel Kuyper doesn't like the Seahawks draft because he's usually wrong. <laughs> and he gave him, I think, a C-, minus. so I'm pretty happy with the class now. Right. Just not too long ago, maybe a week or so before the draft, I was watching SportsCenter one morning, and, and Mel Kuyper came on, and he was regrading his grades from the previous year's drafts based on how well they did the previous year. And I'm like, well, what's the point of grading your draft in the first place if you're just going to regrade it later based on their performance? Shouldn't you just grade their draft class two years down the road and after what's happened? Exactly. I don't pay any attention to their grades. He gave the 2012 Seahawks draft an F. Yeah. And uh, Bruce Irvin, Russell Wilson, Bobby Wagner, I think they'd all beg to differ. Right, yeah. I mean, it doesn't doesn't mean anything. Really, I just like to look at it to see – you know, what people think, and then they're baffled later when, you know, the team that they thought had a terrible draft is, you know, 8-0 on the season because of, you know, the, their rookie quarterback or whoever stepped in and made a big, big role. So, um, yeah, I think it was uh, it was a fun draft. It was um, it was awesome live tweeting along for the majority of the draft and, and um, you know, paying attention to this. I think I knew a lot more players in this year's draft than I've ever known in the past. And I, and I, so I think the podcast for, for that personally. Yep. I think it was a lot of fun watching it with a more in-depth perspective on it. Definitely. Well, uh, we have no questions this week for our social media mailbag. So we'll go ahead and move to any other side topics we want to talk about and then conclude the pod. Do you have anything you want to mention? Uh, I just saw a funny article today on ESPN that I want to talk about in regards to the NBA playoffs a little bit. I don't know if you saw this or not. The Golden State Warriors wanted to play the Los Angeles Clippers in the second round and not the Utah Jazz because there is no nightlife in Salt Lake City. Um, Yeah, I did see that. Is that something that the Warriors or any NBA team in general should be worried about in the NBA playoffs when you're trying to win a championship? It's the Warriors for you. They're pretty cocky, so it's it's not what I don't expect at that point. The the person who that I didn't see a quote from Steph or Clay on it. Yeah. And then the quote from KD was, "It really doesn't matter. We're there to play a game." I think is what I remember seeing. Yeah. So it's just basically the Matt Barneses of the world speaking their minds, and they shouldn't really be talking because they're lucky enough to be on a team like that. They should be focusing on the game, but whatever. Right, and I was thinking about it. I'm like, they just played in Portland. I mean, I love Portland, but Portland doesn't really seem to have the NBA nightlife style kind of thing besides, you know, I guess we have the most strip clubs per capita in in the United States, but, you know, um, you know, it's not like we're, we're Vegas or Los Angeles or something like that, but... Um, yeah, I mean, some of the places that I go for work and have to stay stay overnight, I want them to go stay there for, for a week and then tell me how bad Salt Lake City is. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, uh, I don't know if you noticed, but the Rockets absolutely dismantled they did. the Spurs I've been tonight. watching the score as we've been recording this. So. so, yeah, they destroyed them in San Antonio, which is shocking to me to see. But I think Houston's a better team than most people give credit for. No, I... I... I'm surprised that they won by 27 points, but I'm not surprised Houston won. I think um, the Spurs struggled with Memphis in the first round, and Memphis is not that good of a basketball team. They're missing a couple of key players, and they still took it to six games. So I think Houston uh, wins this wins this series, and I, I'm looking forward to Golden State and Houston in the, the conference finals. Hopefully it happens, and I hope uh, I honestly hope we end up getting a finals rematch. I want to see Cleveland come out of the East, too, but I think Boston's going to be a tough draw. Yeah, no, I agree. I I, uh, I honestly think it's very possible for the Golden State Warriors to go into the NBA Finals having not lost a playoff game, going going 12-0. and I, I think they match up very, very well against all the Western Conference teams, and um, so, you know, kind of history could would be on the line. So that, as far as I know, no NBA team has, has won an NBA championship without losing a playoff game. Yeah, that'd be interesting to see. Other news, uh, I believe I'd like to mention that I, I'm a English soccer fan myself, and uh, my Tottenham Hotspur pulled off a 2-0 win in the last ever North London Derby at White Hart Lane. So I was pretty happy about that because yeah. they're moving into their new stadium in 2019. So it was good to watch. It was a great soccer game. I don't know if you watch any soccer. Uh, I watch the occasional Portland Timbers match. Other than that, I'm not much of a soccer guy. Although I do like to watch soccer more than than baseball, so I'll give you that. (laughs) Well, that's a slap in the face. Come on now. (laughs) Give baseball some credit. (laughs) All right. Well, 
I think uh, I think we've succinctly talked about the draft uh, for the sake of this podcast, and uh, are looking forward to you know the long slog of four months until we have actual football. But luckily, we have you know preseason and training camp and all that kind of stuff to look forward to. So we're gonna come up with some new content to fill the time and make sure you guys are well prepared for when training camp opens up, so you know what to look out for. Right, definitely. Um, I'm looking forward to it. I think this is going to be. Uh, a time where Derek and I can really go in depth and, and learn, you know, not only about our teams, but um, some of the other teams around the league and, and players we would have never known about and, unless we were bringing this pod to you. So um, be on the lookout for that content and, and um, football season almost here. Yep. And uh, maybe we should uh, look into trying out our hand at making a fantasy draft uh, toolkit. <laughs> what do you say? We'll make like a top 300. Oh gee, oh, that would be a good long-term project to fill fill the time between now and, and August when we would you know kind of debut that. So, uh, I definitely will look into it and to, into doing that. I, I think it'd be fun. Yeah, it might be worth the time. Yep. But hey, um, thank you all for listening. As always, follow us on our social media and be on the lookout for this podcast as well as any future podcasts uh, throughout all of our mediums, whether whether it's iTunes, SoundCloud, or the Google Play Store. We really appreciate all your follows. And uh, as we mentioned earlier in the podcast, we will be finding more ways to donate more money to the Concussion Legacy Foundation because we do believe it's a good cause. And we hope that we can find ways to get our audience more involved with that as well. And maybe you guys are willing to contribute uh, out of the generosity of your hearts as well. Yep. So I think uh, with that, we should wrap up and we will be talking to you guys again soon. Yep, I uh, I look forward to it. I'm glad the uh, draft is over, but I am not looking forward to waiting for more. But I hope you all are ready for some more good contact coming your way. We've had a blast doing this. All right. Sounds good. We will talk to you guys soon.